Hi, everybody. This is Keith, Music Man Henlick, with the Final on Vinyl podcast. And today we're with Fido. He is a well-known progressive rock artist. How are you doing today? Hello. How are you, Keith? Good. Appreciate you taking some time for us today. I'm happy to be here. Nice to be able to uh, talk about music. Yes. And uh, speaking of that, you certainly have your share. And most recently, out of your good heart and generosity, invited people to go to your Bandcamp page and download all of your albums. Uh, So what was that uh, thought process? Were you thinking that because of what we've been going through in the country with the virus and everything that people could use a little uplifting and be able just to go in and grab it or was it something else? I was, uh, you know, like, like many in the audience, I I am at home and I was um, on Facebook, which I don't, I don't do Facebook that often, but I I thought I would uh, upload some music I was working on. And uh, I had been going through my archives of older things that I hadn't really finished. And I was finding some things that I, I was enjoying hearing after not hearing them for a while, and I decided to put them on SoundCloud and uh, upload them to Facebook. You know, and so each day I was putting a new piece up, and eventually I, I decided, well, I'm going to gather a bunch of un, unreleased or weird versions of things and, and make an, a little album, and I'll put it on Bandcamp, and I'll let people uh, get it for free. So I, I created this album, which I called Lysogenic Burnt Offerings, and put it on Bandcamp, and that was a bunch of odds and sods, as it were. The title, Lysogenic, referring to viral, and burnt offerings referring to the idea that these were not necessarily my most well-cooked things. So I I created that album, put it on Bandcamp, and then I thought, well, you know, Bandcamp is a great place for people to get music, and if I'm giving this one album away for free – why don't I just let everyone listen to all my stuff and, and get it all for free? Um, and so I thought that would be a nice gesture during this time, uh, a, a way for me to communicate with people, for people who may not have heard all my stuff to be able to, to get it. And uh, so that, that worked out well. And, of course, people you know, have been tipping, and so I've, I've made a little money essentially by giving my music away for free. So that was, that was quite, uh, quite a, an unforeseen um, side effect but yeah it was really just about um feeling like we're all home and you know people um have the time now that maybe they could check me out well that's good thought and it works both ways right and it looks like you know by you giving you gave you know you gave back and people gave to you so that's a really cool thing it's nice to hear thanks what's this promotional you sent me uh fido mugan i loved it um, but what exactly is this different cuts off of different albums or so what what that was was actually i i um i am uh, i make music under my name fido and that turned into a, a couple of years ago i made an album called doomsday afternoon and that album was the one that people in the progressive rock community really took to and they have considered that to be essentially my quote unquote masterpiece uh, in, you know, in terms of my, my work. And out of that album, I got an opportunity to perform live, so I put together my band. And my band consists of a lot of people I grew up with in a, in a small town back in New York State called Hastings-on-Hudson, New York, and seven of us grew up in that town. 
and I played with different different of those seven people uh, throughout my my life in different bands, and and everyone kind of came together to create this giant band to perform the the music of Fido, and particularly the music of Doomsday Afternoon. And we we got uh, I have a drummer that I've been working with since the 90s, and we borrowed the bass player from Discipline, Matthew Kennedy, and I had met this um, very young, incredibly um, talented keyboard player named Johnny Unicorn, and so I invited him to participate as well. And the, the ten of us essentially became a band. And the problem with having a ten-piece band is that it's hard to find music for all ten people. And so I... Um, started making music that was not necessarily with all 10 of those people under a different name called called Mogon uh, and so i um uh, i was about to go to fest a couple i'm sorry i'm getting a phone call and i i apologize for it cutting in um i was about to go to Nearfest a couple years ago and i didn't have a new album i hadn't been working on a new album and I decided to gather together a bunch of the various different pieces I had uh, mixed at the time put together a little promotional album. And so this promotional album contains a couple of Fido songs from a, 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 an unreleased album called Seven and a Half and a couple of Mogon songs from two different Mogon albums, as well as some live Fido music that had been previously you know, the live versions from, from previous albums. So oh, okay. this, that's what that album is all about. And it was just really a, a free giveaway. But then I started, um, I put it up on Bandcamp because it had a, a bunch of interesting information or interesting music that I had not been able to uh, release at this point. And the, the thing was, all of those albums were unreleased uh, because I decided to work instead on this album called Infernal. And so Infernal uh, took over my life for uh, several years. And right now, one of the things I'm doing while, while being in my house is going through my old um, Fido uh, and Mogon sessions and trying to get them ready to be mixed so that I can release new albums in, in, the, in the future. Oh, great. I'll be looking forward to that, especially if you have the vinyl. <laughs> yeah, no, vinyl is good. I mean, it's, it's hard to... It's hard to sell vinyl and it's hard to get uh, vinyl made, you know, because there's a, bit, a, a little bit of a resurgence and there's not a lot of places that are doing it. So I'm um, definitely looking forward to uh, getting my music out to vinyl for sure. Well, thank you for sending Infernal on vinyl. Um, that'll be my next review. I can't wait to listen to that on vinyl. I've already heard it digitally um, because I did some downloading myself and Everything you do, I like. I gotta say, and thank um, you. I'm kind of shocked I hadn't even hadn't heard of you before, um, but you know, I keep uh, a low profile. Some, yeah, well, you know what? There's so much out there, and um, I'm sure I've missed on a lot over the years because there's so much out there. But I just your music's so prolific, so it kind of took me aback, thinking, "Why? Wow, <laughs> I've never listened to this man before," and. Um, your name sounds very French. Are your parents from France? No, I have a, a bunch of different stories uh, that I tell about how I, I got my name, although I will tell you the truth and say that when I was in high school, I created an alter ego, and I, I created a very fanciful sort of pretentious name that I could channel 
my you know, rock and roll aspirations into, and that was the name Fido Xavier. And so eventually I, I made music under that name, and it just made sense ultimately for me to legally change my name and become this character. So uh, okay. it's, it's entirely a made-up um, affectation. Oh, I'll be. You're just another guy from New York, huh? <laughs> exactly. Just a, a Wisconsin boy, uh, you know, born in New York. From a from a, a a Midwestern family. So you're in Wisconsin. Well, I, I, my father and and my whole uh, paternal family were from Wisconsin, and uh, my father uh, spoke, you know, with with a Wisconsin accent. So I kind of inherited that mindset. I would I would say. So you're out in Southern California now, or? Now I am in Los Angeles. It's true. I came out to work in television production, and uh, you know it's great uh, out here because there's a lot of music pr- production as well. So I can work on on television as my day job, and then I I have the opportunity to work with very uh, incredibly great engineers and producers in some of the best studios, you know, in the country. And uh, it's great because I don't I don't have to worry about um, quote unquote making it through music because I have my day job, so I'm, I'm in a very privileged position in that regard. Well, a lot of people in the indie world are in the same position, and uh, yeah, we, we make music because we love it, and we uh, you know we have to self fund, and uh, that's both a a blessing and a curse. <laughs> Why do you say that? Well, in the sense that I, I, it's a blessing because I don't have to worry about a timetable when I put something out. I don't have to worry about it being as commercial as the last recording. I don't have to worry about, you know, uh, getting my name out there, um, furiously doing social media. Uh, and it's a curse because then I'm left to my own devices. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm a bit lazy, I think, at times when it comes to promoting my work. Um, I'm not as uh, much of a shark barracuda with regards to my social media and my hype, I I prefer to be I, you know I I kind of chuckle at that moment in Spinal Tap when they say that you know as as their record sales are going down they say well they they consider their their audience to be very selective or very exclusive it's a very exclusive audience so I, I guess I I subscribe to that idea that I have a very exclusive audience if you if you want to hear me you have to really seek me out. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And that's probably true. That's the way it is for a lot of artists. And uh, you do put out quality music, that's for sure. And that's why people keep coming back, I'm sure. Thank you. Yeah, I try. um, So going back in the time machine, when did this all start for you? Um, You know, what were some of your influences and when did you first get in the recording studio? Well, I, I, I grew up with an older sister who had a, a record collection that obviously contained the Beatles, and she also had all the Moody Blues and um, King Crimson and uh, Jethro Tull records, and, and she was of the generation that was listening to Tull and Genesis, and, and so older uh, friends of hers would come over, and I was a precocious young kid, and they would try to educate me about music. So I, I became very interested in, in music and I loved to especially find British music. And I, there was a store in White Plains near where I grew up that had an import selection. So I found a lot of obscure 
records. I was introduced to Van de Graaff Generator at that store when I was, you know, 13 years old. And um, so I uh, knew that I, I loved music. I was very influenced by Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull, and I, I loved his songwriting, and I liked the fact that he seemed to be, you know, the point person of Jethro Tull, and all the lyrics were written by him. So I, 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 I got the idea that I wanted to be one of those singular visionary people. Um, I was also loved Peter Gabriel. I liked his, his singing style. I liked his sense of humor, his sense of surreal. So I was very interested in making music and creating music, but I wasn't that interested in learning how to play instruments. I mean, I learned how to play guitar, and I taught myself piano, but I'm not that good at either of them. I can, I can, I can get by, and I sometimes prefer the way I play to, to more uh, accomplished musicians because I have a, a slightly primitive, minimal approach. Um, and I, I first started recording myself just with a cassette recorder, and then I had two cassette recorders, and I would play the song out of one cassette recorder while playing an, an, another track into another one. And eventually I got into reel-to-reel tape recorders where I could do sound-on-sound sound from one channel to the other. And then four tracks, uh, cassettes came out, and I got one of those. Ultimately graduated to getting my own eight-track uh, analog, you know, open-reel machine, uh, a mixing board. But I was really terrible at engineering, and I, I ultimately got the, the digital rig, the ADATs, and was you know, furious. I recorded my album Ghost Story on ADATs. Um, but I, when, I, when it came time to mixing it, I, I really uh, I didn't spend money on getting a good mixer. And it turned out horribly, and I, I, I delayed that album. I didn't put it out, and I felt very um, upset. And, and it wasn't until I, I decided that I probably had taken music as far as it could go and was going to give it up that I thought, well, if I'm going to give it up, why don't I make one final album and why don't I hire a producer and, and, and farm out all the engineering and forget about trying to do the engineering and save money? Just spend money on an engineer, a producer, and then just be the musician. And once I did that um, investment in my own work, it, it, suddenly it, it made sense. So I, I got to the point where I realized I could not be my own engineer or my own producer. I needed outside um, expertise in that area. So that was the album Fiendish. That is essentially my first album. And as soon as I put that album out, I then got the, the tapes for Ghost Story and had uh, Gabe Moffat, my producer and engineer, remix that, and we got that one ready to release. And since that time, I've been working with Gabe Moffat, who is someone I grew up with, actually, uh, and he's an incredible, incredible producer and, and engineer, and he's responsible for all the sonic uh, lushness of, of my albums, and, and that you know he he uh, takes my ideas and makes them you know three dimensional or, or or audio as it were, and that's been the key is working with other people and and right now I'm working with an, another uh, producer named Paul Russler, who uh, is based here in Los Angeles as well, and we're working on a, a, a new body of work which takes me a little more into my minimal uh, gothic glam sort of. Uh, you know, 80s rock interest. It's a little more, a little less progressive rock, a little more psychedelic, maybe gloomy, uh, maybe like very early David Bowie, the man who sold the world or something like that. But um, so 
that that's been my trajectory. And I, I love a lot of different music and, and my influences were my sister's record collection, which ran the gamut from, you know, the folk rock of Jefferson airplane through the Beatles, through tall, uh, you know, ELP King Crimson. And I always liked the very dark stuff. And I liked the stuff that, that had interesting, challenging lyrics. Wow. Well, a lot of that collection sounds like mine too. Growing up in the seventies, I had a lot of that, and yeah, yeah, I have, I have Ian, a lot of Ian damage. What's that? I have I have a lot of seventies damage for sure. Seventies <laughs> damage. It's a good way to look at it. Well, I mean, uh, you know, my my era. Well, you know, when I was in college, it was the era of the eighties, so it was more. It was more like the Cure, Susie and the Banshees, the the, the music on the 4AD record label, you know, Cocteau Twins, Dead Can Dance, some of the mm-hmm. stuff that's not exactly progressive rock, Depeche Mode, but, but you know, songwriting in a minor key, some of the Eurythmics is very um, experimental. And, and, uh, and you know, I, I XTC, all, all the kind of music that's a little quirkier, than um, your regular pop music. And that reminded me maybe of early Mothers of Invention, uh, early Alice Cooper was a little more psychedelic, some of the early, um, you know, uh, psychedelic stuff of, of, the, of the 69, you know, 67, 68, 69, kind of came back around in 87, 89, and, and, and even Joy Division and New Order. There, there's a bunch of stuff there that I also grew up um, really loving, that, that type of music as well. Yeah, hence the synth-based, you know, approach. You know, the when I was listening to Snow Torch, I heard a lot of keyboards in there, and sounds yeah. to me like that, that's where your influence came from, huh? That that was that was probably the big, the most keyboard, keyboard, keyboard record. I I really wanted. I mean, it turned out that that was essentially me kind of redoing Thick as a Brick or Passion Play, like or 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 even a Vandergraaf Generator. God Bluff was a real inspiration for that album. Um, it was, and I really wanted that that sound of kind of Italian progressive rock keyboards. Like if you listen to PFM or Locanda della Fate or um, uh, like uh, Banco, they have just you know La Orme. They've got such incredibly beautiful keyboards, and the synthesizers are just gorgeously uh, you know um, programmed. And and I really you know we we really tried on that album to not have stuff that was preset. Sounding, we we found a lot of you know we we had our Moog Voyager, and we we had um, uh, a Mellotron or a Memetron actually, which is a, a you know a, a CD based Mellotron, but it uses all the same principles of the Mellotron. You can't play a, a sound for more than a minute or whatever the length of the tape originally was. So we tried with that album to have be as keyboard centric as possible, and uh, that was that was kind of the goal on that album. So what's a snow torch? I was wondering what where you got that title. Well, you know, it's it's a it's a bit of a rude story, I have to admit. But um, the the idea behind the song and, and thus the album is kind of, you know, this ball of ice being thawed by the sun, you know, and and the torch uh, being the sun and the 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 snow being, I guess, the you know the frozen uh, planet. Now I know that's not technically how Earth. Uh, came into existence but if you think about sort of ice ages and you know the 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 thawing out of life and and the refining of culture it's sort of it it takes you from 
you know, the star, the first lyric, a star of life, see what you gave, you cheated away the cold, dark night, and then it ends with the word, you know, vowels, and all that's aroused, and it talks about language, which is, you know, sort of the ultimate in human creation, and from language, we, we, we get culture, and we get love, and we get communication in ways that you know, the, the lower order of animals don't have. So Snow Torch is kind of a preposterously silly, you know, pretentious, you know, it takes in the all of creation. Um, but um, there's a, a song on, on uh, Snow Torch called um, Blowtorch Snow Job. And <laughs> that will give you a clue as to where the word Snow Torch comes from. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> now, based on my review, sometimes I I hit the mark. Sometimes I'm thinking, gee, maybe I, I'm not. But I, I I thought it was dark, and there was some cynicism there, and oh, yeah. it seemed like you were you were throwing some stuff out there to a certain group of people or a person or, or an event or something. Was was I right about that, or was I way off? No, I think you're right. I think I think I think what it like you know there's you mentioned the song Helix in there, and Helix is a song. It's one of those dark night of the soul songs where a person finds themselves you know alone in the bar, drinking, smoking alone, thinking about their life, thinking about you know what who they are, where they came from, where they're going, and then there's um you know there's a lot of playful uh, lyrics as well, and I, I think I think where you get the anger. You know, there might be anger at, at organized religion in there. There might be anger at, um, you know, people who are uh, so self-absorbed that they, they, don't, um, they don't look outward. Uh, I think that, you know, Fox Rock 2 is, is a little bit about, you know, people staying in their, in their, uh, in their uh, what's the word I'm looking for, maybe staying in isolation, but in, in um, not opening themselves out to, to see the possibilities of, of their own lives, but it's not really based. It's not, it's not aimed at any group of people or, or type of person. It's really aimed at me. It's aimed at me saying, who am I? Who do I want to be? Who do any of us want to be? And why, if we're on this majestic planet, able to create beautiful works of art, are we uh, so insecure and so plagued by self-hatred at times. So it's it's more of an introspective album, but I think a lot of lyrics I tend to write outward uh, and comment. I, I consider my music to be somewhat of a comment on, on my experience of life uh, and what I see as useful to, you know, to imagine or useful to, to criticize and or, um, you know, hold high up as as the the goal to attain. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this has been an extremely interesting conversation. Believe it or not, we've almost been speaking for a half hour. I can't, it seems like five minutes to me because, you know, people like you, I could talk to for hours, you know, and uh, there's just so many things that come up for me for questions when I'm listening to an album and then I have to sit down and express myself and, wondering what the artist is thinking after they read the review like you know what was he thinking there or yeah you hit the mark there and you know what i mean you you self-examine just like the process an artist goes through you you put it out there and, and you might hear a song go oh geez that wasn't as good as i thought it was now why did i put that out right 
So oh, yeah, it's been, I know that. <laughs> so much self-examination, and every time, every time I look at something, I feel like I could make it better. So I, I, I in a way, I'm an artist with words, and I, so I can relate to you folks on that level. So yeah, absolutely, it's quite a skill to be able to you know put words, uh, you know, commentary down in a coherent fashion. Yeah, it, it's. You know, it takes years. I mean, I don't have any formal education, and I just decided to do it. So it took me a while to really get my mojo, you know, and I just love doing it. And this podcast thing is just, you know, so popular now, and there's so many of them out there. And I I just feel that and add so much to a review if somebody goes in to look and they can stream some of your music and then actually listen to an interview right there in, in the review as we're going to see sure. here in just a little bit and we're done. <laughs> yeah. So I do thank you. Thank you so much for your time. And I uh, look forward to seeing more music from you in the future. Don't hesitate to send me an email. Let me know if something's coming out. I'd love to cover it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and same here. If you want to talk about any other albums, let me know. I'm, I'm available. We have nothing but time now. All right. Thanks so much, Fido. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.